Welcome to the First Baptist Church of Lavernia Sermon Podcast. If you have any questions about what you hear, or if you would like to speak with one of our pastors, you can find all of our contact information at www.fbclv.com. There was a Peanuts cartoon with Lucy and Linus, and they're sitting on the couch, and they're watching television. And Lucy looks over at Linus, and she says, go get me a glass of water. And Linus looks back at her, and he says, why would I do anything for you? You don't ever do anything for me. And so she looked back at him, she says, okay, on your 75th birthday, I'll bake you a cake. And he gets up, and he starts walking towards the kitchen, and the caption said, life is more hopeful when you have something to look forward to. That poor guy was easily encouraged if he was motivated to get up and go get a glass of water because 70 years later, she may or may not bake him a cake for his birthday. But isn't it true that we often do have hope based on what is coming next? So we just finished up the Thanksgiving holidays, and in the weeks or even months before, we look forward to Thanksgiving, and we said, I really hope that Aunt Jo makes her deviled eggs this year. I really hope that Uncle Brian is nice to everybody because we know he's crazy and he goes off kilter sometimes. I really hope that I can find my stretchy pants so that I can eat all that I want to. I really hope my team wins the game. And we have this hope looking forward to an event and then Thanksgiving comes and we eat all the food and then we watch the game and we take a big nap and then it's back to school and back to work. But then we say, but it's okay because... Christmas is only four more weeks. And so then we hope towards Christmas, and we say, I really hope the next four weeks go fast. I really hope I get presents this year. I really hope that 2024 is better to me maybe than 2023 was. And so I believe it's a truth that in our lives, hope is a motivator, and it's an encourager as we look forward to events but there's still sometimes that we feel hopeless. This morning, we're gonna begin our Christmas series for this month called God With Us. We're going to look at three statements that we often are offered or we offer to other people when we or they are feeling hopeless. And we're gonna see these statements are actually true because Isaiah tells us that they are. If you have your Bibles, turn to Isaiah chapter 9. We're going to verses 1 through 7 today. Three pieces of advice that remind us that hope is here, and his name is Jesus. What is something that you have said to a person when they're feeling down or they're feeling hopeless, or maybe it was you, and somebody said this to you? Point number one, better days are coming, right? They are on the way. To be good stewards of God's word, we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 9, so we need to at least have an idea of what's happened in chapters one through eight. Isaiah is our author. He is writing and he begins with a vision that God had given to him. It was a plan full of grace and glory for a rebellious people and the world. Isaiah tells them about their wicked sin and how they are keeping themselves from a promised hope and they have got to learn this lesson. God's way is always better than their way. What a lesson that was written, you know, 2,500 years ago that somehow we still struggle with in our lives today. 
He paints a picture of them being greedy and sinking in idolatry, being prideful and being oppressed. My dad sent me a picture this week, and it was so appropriate and funny, and it had an image of what the Apostle Paul may look like. And it says, if the Apostle Paul were here today and he saw the church in America, we'd be getting a letter. He'd be writing us several books, right, about what we are not doing that we should be. And so we see this picture that from way back when, even until now, we have these struggles about choosing our way instead of God's way and choosing disobedience instead of obedience. But Isaiah says, but there's hope and the one who is to come. In chapter 6, a very famous passage, it says that Isaiah sees, Isaiah sees the Lord sitting on a throne. He is high and lifted up, and the train of his robe fills the temple with glory. And Isaiah cries out, woe is me. And the Lord asked him, who shall I send and who will go for me? And Isaiah says, here I am, Lord, send me. And the Lord gives him a message for the people, but it says their ears were closed and their eyes couldn't see the truth. So the Lord sends Isaiah to Ahaz, the king of Judah, and he gives them this message. Don't be afraid of those who would attack you. Don't be afraid of those who are against you. But trust in me and I will protect you. But if you continue to rebel, you're going to fall. But if you choose to be obedient, then I will see you through safely. And this is a pattern all throughout the Old Testament. If you choose obedience, you receive blessing. If you choose disobedience, you receive curse. We pick up Isaiah 9, verse 1. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought, out, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali, but in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. There will be no gloom. So he's painting this picture of we see a people who are choosing and living in disobedience, a people who are lost, a people who refuse to see the truth or to do anything about their own disobedience and their rebellion, but there's coming a day. And so she, referring to Israel, will one day no longer be in the darkness. Right now, they're in a place of suffering and a place of discipline, but one day, they're gonna find the victory. Verse two, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who have dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. So those who have walked in the darkness, they refused Isaiah's appeal. So in chapter two, verse five, he says, O house of Jacob, come, let us walk into the light of the Lord. So he says, one day you're gonna see the light, but you're not there yet. And he's writing as though it's already happened. The light is here and the light is coming. We're gonna have this hope that will be, and for those of you who have rejected God, rejected his word, rejected his warning, you're living in the darkness, but better days are coming. How do we know this to be true? These words that were written 2,500 years ago, 700 years before the coming and the birth of Jesus. Here's what Isaiah writes in this prophecy, verse 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. The virgin shall have a son. His name shall be Emmanuel, God with us. How will he change things when he does come? Verse three, you have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest. 
and they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff on his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. You have multiplied the nation. This could be referring to God's promise and covenant with Abraham to make his descendants like the sands of the sea. Could be referring to multiply the nations in that there was a remnant in Israel, but one day when the one who is promised comes, salvation shall be open not just to the Jew, but to the Gentile, so the nations have been multiplied. You have increased joy. People will move from darkness into light, from gloom into honor. This is a joy that is greater than the farmer at the reaping of the harvest, joy that is greater than a slave who has been freed from bondage, joy that is greater than the soldier after a victory or a prisoner set free. Every enemy will be defeated. Every boot and war garment dipped in blood will be burned because there is a day that is coming where there will be no more war. Now, Here's what's beautiful about a passage of Scripture like this and is so important for us not to miss. As you read through this, and I feel the same way, maybe you don't, but as I'm reading through it, I'm going, Lord, I recognize that every word of Scripture is true. And I recognize that it is only by your divine will that we are looking at this passage today in your church worship service. But Lord, I don't know what this means for me. Because as you're reading through these verses, you're talking about blood, you're talking about war, you're talking about a people of Judah who are being attacked by the Assyrians, you're talking about being warned and not listening, you're talking about farmers reaping and prisoners of war being set free. How do I take that and put that into my own life? When we're looking at other passages, we read them, and it says, do not lie to other people. We can go, I get that one, Lord. That makes sense. Do not lie. But as I'm reading these things about a people so far along, so far away, so long ago, what do I do with that in my own life? And here's what God spoke to me about these few verses. Isaiah is writing to a people who are under attack. And maybe you are not under attack as in that you are in a physical war, but you are certainly under attack maybe spiritually, mentally, emotionally, or even physically. And maybe you're being attacked by the enemy, by the world, by family, who you thought were your friends, by work, by society. Maybe you even feel attacked by the church. And Isaiah says, better days are coming. He warns them about this danger of disobedience, but they didn't listen. He says, you've been warned. And I would think that most people here today, you have been warned at some point in your life. You have been told that disobedience to God is a very bad idea. That's not something new. That's something that's way out there. And yet so many times we don't trust that warning and we choose our way over God's way. And so maybe what God needs you to hear today is that you are missing out on a promised hope and a blessed presence in future because you keep choosing disobedience when you've been warned and you know better. He says, there's going to be joy for the farmers at the harvest. There's going to be joy for the warriors when they are victorious. And maybe the last thing you feel right now in your life is joy. 
And you need to be reminded that better days are coming. That one day Jesus is going to return and there's going to be a reaping like there's never been before. There's going to be a victory like there's never been before. And if you follow and trust and know Jesus, you've already won the battle. You are on the winning side, so don't lose hope. Better days are coming. Isaiah continues, she tells us this, number two. You are not alone. We love to watch different reality television shows. One of our favorites is always Survivor. It's been on for 217 years. So we're watching one of the older seasons. We just finished it this week. And it's always peculiar to me that they'll have like, let's say, 10 players left. And they'll say, everybody's going to reach in this hat and pull out a color. You're going to pull out blue, you're going to pull out red, and then we're going to divide you up into two teams. And I know it's supposed to be random, but the teams always look stacked when I'm watching the show. So they'll always reach in, they'll grab, okay, it's a random draw, and you look over at this team, and there's five players, and four of them are tall, fast, strong, athletic, and then this team over here has four players who are not as strong, not as tall, not as athletic. And you're going, this doesn't seem very balanced. So we're watching this. Let's say this. Four out of five over here, really athletic people. Four out of five over here, not so athletic. But one of them, super athletic, used to be a professional athlete. So they're having to jump, they're having to run, they're having to climb, they're having to swim. And the one guy on this team, he's incredible. So he is fast, he is doing everything as quick as can be, but he's having to wait. Every challenge they're doing, he's getting done going, you guys got to come on because he's so much stronger and faster than the rest of them. And when we use this phrase, you're not alone, usually it's a phrase of encouragement. When you're walking through a sickness or a struggle, we say, hey, listen, you're not alone. We're here for you so that we'll walk through this with you. When you're going through a heartache, hey, you're not alone. Stop fighting the battle by yourself. We're right here with you, and that's a good and encouraging thing. But we see other times in life, like when you're in a team race, and you're the only one who's athletic, and the rest of your team is not athletic, you're going, if I was alone, this would be way easier. I could win this if I was by myself. I've done group projects before. I know how that works. One person knows everything. The rest of them going, you're doing great. Or they just slow you down or you're waiting on their progress. So I see the picture that you are not alone should be a good thing, but it doesn't always feel like a good thing. Because you're going, these people are holding me back. They're dragging me along. And so Isaiah paints this picture. What we'll see next, Selenus, you're not alone. But it's not that you are tied to or that someone is with you who would ever hold you back or someone who's going to hinder you. And so he says, you have got to understand this. If this whole world forsake you, you are not alone. And the one who is with you will always lead you, guide you, love you, and protect you. You don't want to live without him. Verse six, for to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. A familiar passage, a prophecy about Emmanuel, God with us. For unto us a child is born, fully human, and yet fully God. 
A son was given, leaving the glories of heaven to come and live a perfect life, die a criminal's death so that we might be saved by grace through faith. The government shall be upon his shoulder. He'll be the ruler of nations, the king of kings, the Lord of lords. He shall be called a wonderful counsel, which means he is the only one who has wise plans because he knows all that has been, he knows what is, and he knows what will be. And not only is he wise, but he is the mighty God, showing there is no other prophecy that could ever be pointed to anyone other than this is Jesus Emmanuel. He's only wise enough to know what needs to happen, but he has the power to make it happen. The everlasting Father who loves us, guides us, disciplines, and protects us. He is the Prince of Peace, a ruler who brings peace and not chaos. And maybe this is what you need. Maybe this is exactly why God has you here in this place. It's by no accident. He needs you to hear this. Let your ears be open and your eyes to see. You are not alone. I usually would say that meaning This church is full of people who will love you. They will walk through this life with you in your highest of highs and lowest of lows. There is not a leader, there's not a staff member, there's not a pastor who wouldn't do anything for you. We will answer your call at three o'clock in the morning and we will talk to you until you fall asleep. But maybe today that's not what you need to hear. You don't need to know that the church is there for you. You don't need to hear that your pastors and your staff are there for you. What you need to hear is this. God is with you. You are not alone. Do you remember when you were a child? It was about 80 years ago for me. And when I was in school, we'd go outside for recess, and we'd play kickball all the time. And they would have two team captains who would pick teams, and I always hated that because you're standing there going, I don't want to be picked last. I don't want to be picked last. That's the nightmare of all elementary kids. And so who gets picked first? Either the best athlete, right, because you want somebody that can kick and catch really good, or your best friend. And so here's the beauty of you not being alone. When God tells us that he is with us, not only is he the best athlete, catcher, and kicker, He's also your best friend. God says, you're not by yourself. And he's right there with you every step of the way. And how do you know that that's such a good thing? Because he is a wonderful counselor. He has all the wisdom that you will ever need. He is a mighty God who can move mountains and change orbits of planets. And he can do miracles in your life. He is the everlasting Father. When everyone else fails, He will not fail you. He will always love, always give, always correct, always guide, always protect. He will always provide. He is the Prince of Peace. Many of you today walked in this room today and you looked very calm and you looked very collected as if everything was right in your world, but your mind and heart are full of anxiety, fear, guilt, depression, sickness, doubt, anger, unforgiveness, uncertainty, and hopelessness. It feels good to know that we are not alone, that we have friends and we have family, we have coworkers, we have the church, but what should give us the most hope is to know that we are never alone because God is with us. Are you struggling? Are you hurting? Are you hopeless? Has someone said these words to you? 
It's going to be okay because, number three, God is in control. I saw this picture not too long ago. I think it's very appropriate, and it makes me laugh. If trusting in your own understanding was a picture, and so if you can see the bricks there, and so it looks like such a picture, we go, listen, this isn't that hard, right? A little bit of brick, a little bit of mortar, a little bit of a level, line that stuff out, and after a while, you stand back and look at what you did, and you go, yeah, I tried to do a good thing, but I did a very bad thing. I thought I understood but I really didn't understand it. So often we take Proverbs 3, we say, lean on your own understanding. We're like, yeah, but you know, can God really know everything? And he's really busy, and I'm really good at this. So I can handle this problem. I can handle the situation. I see what needs to be done. I have the bricks. I have the mortar. I have the trowel. I can do this. I got it. And watch me do this, God. And I'm going to go, man, I really messed that up. If I could only learn that God's ways are better than my ways. If I could only learn that he already knows everything that has been, is, and will be. So why would I only trust in what I know when I know it's only going to lead to failure? And many times we find ourselves hopeless and discouraged. Because we tried our way over and over and over and we fail. And then sometimes we say, okay, well, that ain't working. I guess I'll try it God's way. And even doing it God's way, we don't always feel like it's working that way either. And we begin to feel a little bit of hopeless. And somebody comes alongside us and they put their arm around us and say, hey, listen, it's going to be okay because God is in control. How do we know this to be true? Verse 7. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. He says there's going to be a day when the rule of God only increases. There will be a day when his peace has no end. There'll be a day that it's from the throne of David, the prophesied Messiah, his kingdom shall reign forever and ever. Amen. He will rule with justice and righteousness, and the Lord will do all this. And he's talking about a day that is to come when God's going to make all things new. Doesn't change the truth that right here and right now today, God is still the ruler over all things. It doesn't change that his peace and his kingdom have no end. He has always been in control. He is in control. He'll always be in control. But what about when I lost my job? God is in control. What about when my child got sick? God is in control. What about when war is happening in Israel? God is in control. What about God is in control? Well, what about God is in control? What about God is still in control? We don't have to understand. We don't have to be able to make a PowerPoint presentation. We don't have to have a pie chart or a graph to be able to explain it. We only have to trust him and to know that he is our hope. There was a large city that had a program 
for children for when they got sick or went in the hospital or they missed too much school, <coughs> they would send a tutor to help them to keep them from getting too far behind. So one of these tutors was contacted. She went and met with the teacher, and she says, how can I help? She goes, we have this young boy. He's in the hospital. We're working on nouns and adverbs. We really need you to go and help him so he doesn't get too far behind. No problem. So she makes an appointment to go and to visit with the young boy. What she didn't know was that when she got there, he had been severely burned over almost all of his body. He was in terrible health. They weren't sure he was going to make it, and he was in pain almost all the time. So she admitted that when she walked in, her breath was taken away. I'm sure her face did not hide the fact that the young boy looked like he was in a very bad situation. But she said, hello, my name is Miss Adams. The school sent me here to help you work on nouns and adverbs. And so they worked for a while, and she left, and she felt very discouraged, and she felt very hopeless because she felt like she accomplished absolutely nothing. She went back the next day, and the nurse asked her, she said, ma'am, let me just ask you, what exactly did you do to that boy yesterday? And she thought, oh, man, I offended him. My face didn't hide the terror that I saw or the despair that I felt when I saw his shape. She goes, I'm so sorry, whatever it is. She goes, no, 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 you didn't do a bad thing. You did a good thing. She goes, ever since you left yesterday, he's responding differently. He's responding to the treatments. He's showing signs of improvement. Everything's getting better. And so two weeks later, they were talking to the young boy, and they go, you've been different for these last 14 days. What exactly happened? And he said, well, I came to this realization. I was sitting there. I had lost all hope. I didn't think there was any way in the world that I was ever going to make it out of this hospital, and I was going to die for sure. And then that tutor showed up, and I thought to myself, there's no way that the school would send a tutor here to teach a dying boy about nouns and adverbs. So I have hope that I'm going to live. Hope is a game changer. I don't know where you are in your walk with Jesus. I don't know where your heart is. I don't know your life situation. I don't know your fear, your struggle, or your pain, or what you're walking through right now, but this is what I do know. If you have breath in your lungs, if you have blood pumping in your heart, then God is not through with you. Therefore, you have hope. So hear these words that are not just easy phrases for us to say, but these are truths that Isaiah wrote to us 2,500 years ago. Better days are coming. They may not be on this side of eternity, but our present circumstance is not worth comparing to the glory that awaits us in heaven. You are not alone. If you feel that you are and you have convinced yourself, stop telling those lies. You are not alone. There is a fellowship of believers here who will walk through the fire with you. But you have to know first, God is with you. God is still in control. You never have to doubt that, but instead know that he is Emmanuel. He is God with us, and he will always be our hope.